Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here to the house of the Lord as we come together as his people. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross 
His blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon
Gracious Father, we thank you for the promise of Christ, for all that it means for his first appearing, and all that it means for his second appearing. We pray that you will give us hearts that are open to you and and ready for you to come among us. We thank you for being here today. We pray that you would be glorified in our worship and that we would be drawn closer to you. We would be changed by being here together today. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today.
When I hear, hello, it's me, I don't necessarily think of the lyrics to a popular song. I think of Jacob at his first birthday party he's ever had. After eating a cupcake with a picture of his face on it, he runs to a nearby payphone, picks up the receiver, and he says, Hi, Mom, it's me. You should see the parents and the cupcakes and the people at my party and, well, Jacob did this every day at Royal Family Kids Camp to tell a story to parents who weren't even at the other end of the phone in more than one way. Last week in adult Sunday school, we heard about how we can do local ministry with foster children. RFKC is one of those ministries. We've offered this camp to abused and neglected kids in Allegheny and Wyoming counties like Jacob for the past 21 years. But we're at a time when many volunteers are moving into other phases of their lives. Last year, we replaced a director, we replaced some lead people in curriculum, and we've even found new grandparents for this upcoming year. This year, we still have many needs, including male and female counselors, a music coordinator and leader, drama performers, and even someone to organize carnival games. Next year, we'll need a new videographer, and we'd love to train that person this year. Our 22nd camp week runs from July 10th through the 15th, and in the same way that we need volunteers, we would also welcome financial support, as many of our donors, like our volunteers, have moved into other phases of life as well. You can speak to Nancy Murphy or me, or you can email us at houghton.rfkc at gmail.com. I'll say that again. Houghton.rfkc at gmail.com. Volunteer applications are needed by February 15th. Thank you for helping us to let the little children come to Jesus. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us as we give back to God from all that he has given to us.
as we uh, gather together for a few moments of prayer. Uh, maybe you want to come and pray at the altar rail. There's nothing magical about that. But sometimes kneeling expresses what's in our hearts. And so as we pray together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, we've come today because Jesus lives. Because he has conquered the grave and death. And through the cross and the resurrection, set us free from our sin. Given us life. We come today to worship you and to honor you. And, and at the same time to pour out our hearts before you. Lord, this morning we come with uh, a wide variety of burdens and concerns. Some for ourselves, for others, for the world. We want to lay each of them at your feet. Trusting you for your answers. Knowing that you hear us. Father, this morning as we think about our lives and And those connected to us, we pray for those who are grieving today and ask for your comforting presence on each of them. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with issues of health. We pray for Elijah Beardsley, who is in the hospital and undergoing tests. For Calvin and Laurel Buecher. For Warren Woolsey. For Bill Getty. Bill Muecher. Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, for Dick Gould, and Crystal Blake, and Emily Cricklark, and for others. We ask, Father, for your healing grace in each of them. And in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, we pray for the ministries of this church. We thank you for the small groups of our church. They all look a little bit different. They have different purposes. They meet at different times and in different places. We thank you for the life change that is taking place in the groups. And we pray that that will continue. That this will be a powerful resource to help us in our walk with you. We pray for the ministries of churches around us, and today we especially pray for the Rushford United Methodist Church and Pastor Russell. We ask for your grace upon this congregation as they serve you in Rushford and beyond. We pray that you will bless their worship today and in the weeks and months and years to come. Thank you for their faithful presence through the years, and we pray that you will continue to use them to reach out to others, that they might know the truth of Christ and experience Christ in their lives. And Father, we pray for the world. We think of the nation of Haiti. We give thanks for the medical dental team that has just returned from fruitful time there. We pray that, that what they have done will, will be seeds planted deep, and that out of those seeds will come great fruit. That lives will be changed and families transformed and communities made new. And the whole nation might come to to see you for who you are. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world. We think of, of refugees 
fleeing places of danger. We ask for your protective grace upon them. We think of those who who serve you in places of great danger. We think especially of Ken and Jocelyn Elliott, who have served for so many years in Benin and Burkina Faso, and have been recently taken hostage. Think of families that are grieving because of those who have been killed in this hostage taking. Father, we ask for your grace upon the Elliots and that they would be released soon. In the midst of their captivity, give them courage and grace to bear witness of who you are to their captors. Father, through their witness, may those who hold them come to see you in a different light. That they might even open their hearts to you and be changed. Father, we pray for your grace upon this world that you love. Your people in every place serve you in faithfulness and in truth because you are with them. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We pray that your grace would continue to be upon our lives and all that we do. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the book of Luke. Can you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Luke 4, 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he was brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, which was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb with me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. Until Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was sent, Elijah was not sent, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow of Zephyrah in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd 
and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. In one way or another, we're all trying to figure out what does the kingdom of God look like? Maybe another way of asking that is what is the church supposed to be about? What does the church look like? The importance of that is that the kingdom reflects the nature of the king. And when we talk about what the kingdom is like, what the kingdom of God is about, what the church is about, what we're really saying is, what is God about? 
What's the nature of God? What, what does God think and feel? What is, what is God's, what, what, what is God's uh, inclination toward us and the world? It's a vital question. And I think in one way or another, all of Scripture is an attempt to answer that question, to address that question. And we get glimpses of that as we read through the pages of Scripture. And one of the things that intrigues me about the church calendar, and we're in the season of Epiphany, and Epiphany is, you know, means manifestation, revelation, and it is a season that is designed to help us understand what the kingdom is about, particularly as it is revealed in the early days of Jesus' ministry. Because what Jesus does at the beginning sets the tone for everything else that he's going to do. And one of the places that historically the church has looked at when we think about the early days of Jesus' ministry, this passage that we just read from the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel. Because I think it tells us something about what Jesus is trying to help the people of Israel and us understand about the kingdom. Now, Jesus is just beginning his ministry, and what we find is that he's going around the the regions of Galilee. He's teaching, he's performing miracles, and Luke tells us people are pretty impressed by that. Verses 14 and 15 just describe in the briefest of terms that the people like what they hear, and they like what they see, and they're beginning to be drawn to Jesus. Things are going well. He's starting out on a good note. And then he comes to Nazareth. It's always hard to go home again. Every time I read this passage, I think of about, I don't know, 25 or more years ago, something like that, when I got a call one day from, from someone in the church in Evansville, Indiana, where I grew up, asking if I would be interested in talking with them about coming back to be their pastor. Now, there was a part of me that thought that would be really cool. You know, I'd get to go back to my hometown. i get to reconnect with a lot of friends that I hadn't seen there. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't lived there since I graduated from high school, so it'd been a long time. And I loved that church. It was very, very formative in my life. And I thought, this could be interesting. And I told them, let me think about it. It didn't take very long for me, though, to realize that it would be really hard for those people to see me as anything but an 18-year-old high school student. And, and I have a feeling that every time I wanted to say something difficult to them, a lot of them would be sitting back going, yeah, but I remember when, right? And I decided maybe it wasn't the best idea for me to do that. It's hard coming back to your hometown. And you get the feeling as the people respond to Jesus, listening to him, they're saying, isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that, isn't that little Jesus? Didn't, we, didn't his children play... Wouldn't our children play with him? Didn't he build that cabinet for us? It's hard to go home. And Jesus even intimates that when he says, you know, you'll say to me, a prophet, physician, heal yourself. And a prophet is not honored in his hometown. It's hard to see us in a different light than how people have always known us. And Jesus comes And he begins to talk with them. And what's interesting to me is that he quotes this this passage from the first two verses of Isaiah 61. And he talks with them about this. And he says, that's me. And they respond positively to that. Things are still going well. Now, this passage really has connections back to the Old Testament uh, practice of the year of Jubilee. It comes, it's almost a direct quote from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he talks about releasing the captives and, and setting people free and even the blind sight. And, and you have this, this passage that is really describing in the Old Testament what God set up as the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, some things happened in Israel. They didn't plant And so they didn't plant every seven years as well. So that meant now they have two years in a row, they don't plant anything. Give the soil a chance to rest and give them a chance to really trust God. It's also a time when people who had to sell their lands in order to 
pay debts or in order to, they just couldn't maintain it. All the land reverts back to its original owner. And it's also a time where anyone who had to sell themselves into slavery in order to pay a debt were released and set free. And so in a sense, there was really no such thing as slavery in Israel. Everyone was hired. And if eventually, on the, when the 50-year came, you were going to be released. And this came to be seen not just as at every 50-year event. It came to be seen as something eschatological about the kingdom, about what it meant to be a Jew, what it meant to be a child of God, that God is going to set us free. And in all the years of their imprisonment, in all the years of their captivity, in all the years in their exile, they keep coming back to this promise That the Messiah will come and it will be the ultimate year of jubilee for the Jewish people. And now Jesus comes to them, quotes these words, and says, that's me. I have come to do what everyone's been waiting to experience. And they're excited about it. This is awesome. Now, I would have expected them to get upset about that because they do a lot of other places. When Jesus intimates that he's the Messiah, it automatically rankles everyone and they get upset. But here they like it. They like what they hear. And everything is great. But Jesus can't leave it alone, can he? He just has to push it. And he says to them, you know, you're going to say, prophet, physician, heal yourself, and a prophet's not honored in his hometown. And then he tells them two, reminds them of two stories from the Old Testament. These are not parables that Jesus creates like he does some of the parables that, that you almost get a sense that he creates them just to sort of, you know, ruffle their feathers and, and cause them to really think about things. But these are stories that are in the Old Testament. And he says, remember back in the time of Elijah and there was this great drought because of all the sin in Israel. And Elijah didn't go, he said, there were lots of widows in Israel. And where did God send him? He sent him to a widow in Sidon. And remember back in the time of Elisha. And there were lots of people in Israel with leprosy. But who did God heal? Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army. And that incites them so much that they're ready to throw Jesus off a cliff. It is serious. You understand, the, you understand a little bit of the background. Sidon is, is the north of Israel, and it is connected with Tyre often. And it is the hometown of probably the most famous or infamous daughter of Sidon, Jezebel. Who became one of the queens of Israel, along with her husband Ahab, and she was instrumental in introducing Baal worship into Israel. She murdered hundreds, if not thousands, of God's prophets. She is almost the personification of evil in the eyes of the Israelites. And when they think of Sidon, they think of Jezebel, and they think of all the ways in which they, that she turned Israel away from them. And when you think of Syria, where Naaman is from, he's the captain of the army, this army that keeps attacking Israel and sending raiding parties into Israel and carrying off people into slavery. The Syrians that that the Israelites hate because of how they treat each other. And Jesus says, talking about the year of Jubilee, the promise of God, this great work of God among the Jewish people, Jesus says... What you all need to understand is that there are some Gentiles, even people in Sidon and Syria, who have faith, and they get in the kingdom. And some of you don't have faith, and you're not going to be in the kingdom. No wonder they want to throw them off a cliff. You stop and think for a second about all of the ways, let me reword that. Stop for a second and think about people groups that you're not quite sure they really deserve God's grace. That they don't really deserve to be in the kingdom. They haven't really measured up to the standards. I mean, you know, one of the things that's going on here is that it's not just that the Jews 
don't like Gentiles. It's that the Gentiles don't practice the Jewish faith. They don't care about God. They, and, if they, and if they're going to care about God, then they, they need to follow the Jewish faith. They've got to follow all of the rules that God set up and that they created themselves. And it's all about following the rituals, following the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, you can't get in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying it's not about the rules, it's about faith. However much or little faith you have, if your heart is at all open to God, then you're, you're in. God can do something with that. He blesses that. And if you're just about the rules, but your heart is closed to God, you're in trouble. And you think about people in our world who don't follow the rules the way we think they should. I think all of us have somebody, some people group that come to mind. Maybe it's the opposite political party from yours. Maybe it's the opposite theological group from yours. Maybe it's people that they just don't see what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how you act the same way that we do. And we write them off. And we really, even if we think they're in, they may be Christian, they're second-class Christians. They don't measure up. They don't meet the standards. They don't follow the rules. Yeah, they have faith, but it's not the kind of faith that they should have. Because they don't do what we think they should do. And I think Jesus is saying, stop judging them. Because one of the indicators that our hearts are not in the right place is that we judge other people. Now, I'm not talking about being, you know, taking an honest look at truth and looking at people and saying they don't, they don't see Jesus the way they need to see Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about judging people because they don't practice the way we practice. They don't follow the rules the way we follow the rules. Their journey to God is different than our journey to God. And at the very least, they're second class. And we have this judgmental filter through which we view the rest of the world. I struggle with it. I would be stunned if you don't struggle with it. And I think that Jesus is trying to help us understand that we need to be careful about how we judge people. And if people show signs of faith, celebrate it. Help them learn about it. Help them grow in it. Help them move forward in their faith. But celebrate the fact that they, are, they seem to have a heart that's open to God. However small it may be. And instead of making them think about rules, help them think about Jesus. Who he is. What he's done for them. How much he loves them. You know, it's, I think it's been God's plan from the very beginning to, to help us see that his grace is for every person in the world. Creation. You know, as I understand it, most of the other ancient Near Eastern creation stories begin and God created an Assyrian God created a Babylonian, and God created an Egyptian. It's only the biblical text that says, and God created human beings. When Abraham is called out by God, God says to him, I'm going to bless you for the sole purpose of being a blessing, not just to your descendants, but the whole world. And God gives that same message to Israel. When foreigners come and live in the land of Israel, they're not treated as second-class people. They're to be treated just like everyone else. And on and on we see this message from God. Our goal is not to get people to follow the rules. Our goal is to introduce people to Jesus. 
and to help and to, to nurture whatever faith in Jesus people have. Whatever bit of openness we see in them. Instead of lamenting all that's not open, we celebrate what is open. And we help people understand that and walk in it. Even when it's people that, quite frankly, deep down inside, we really don't think deserve it. It's it's a challenge for us. But this is what the kingdom is, and this is who God is. And if we're honest, there's not one of us that deserves it. Sometimes we think we do because we're pretty good at following the rules. But the truth of the matter is, there's not a one of us that deserves to be here. It's only the grace of God in Christ. And somehow, we think about the kingdom as good news for all people. Yesterday in the, in the seminar, that was, it was terrific, and I, I, I was so thrilled that there were more than 100 people at the seminar yesterday dealing with how we as Christians connect and understand the Muslims, Muslims and the Islamic faith and immigrants and refugees, and it was, it was terrific. I appreciated the people from Lilius Trotter Center putting that on for us. One of the repeated things that kept coming out was we, we really need to understand and see people who are part of the Muslim faith as people who are created in the image of God. People who are loved by God. And I know we believe that here, but sometimes it doesn't get here. And it is that mindset that begins to help us see that it's about faith. And the scary thing about this, this passage for me is that for, for me and for most of us in this story, we're probably more apt to be the people in Nazareth than we are the others. And that means that maybe the struggle we have is thinking that we are right with God, that we are that we are in relationship with God because we follow the rules instead of being people who live with open hearts of faith. And I think as we come to this table today, we need to know and understand that this is a table of grace. This is not a table that, to which the invitation is, as long as you're following the rules then you can come. This is a table about, is your heart open to God? You may not understand everything about what it means to be a follower of Christ. You may just be beginning on the journey. You may just now be be thinking and opening your heart of faith. But if our hearts are open to God, then he invites us to come and, and to share in this grace and to grow in this grace. I really do believe that God is calling us to see the world with his eyes. And instead of looking for ways in which people are rejecting God, to look for all the ways in which people's hearts are open to God. And first and foremost, to pray from the depths of our beings that our hearts will be open to God. That we will live in that spirit of faith and openness to whatever God wants to do and however God wants to work in us and in others. Because it is that openness of heart. It is the trust of God. It is our faith that leads us to more and more of the good news of the gospel. And that's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. That we would have 
we live out the kind of faith that people see the gospel as good news. Life-changing. Life-giving. Good news. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We recognize how often we get caught up in judgmental spirits and thinking that we can subtly do enough to be worthy of your grace. Forgive us. Forgive us. And Father, whatever that people group may be, that we have a hard time with, open our eyes to see you at work in them and among them. And give us hearts to love, hearts of compassion, we might be channels of your grace. Father, we pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake today. We pray, Father, that you will give us grace to come with hearts that are open to you. With the desire to let you work in us and continue to transform us. And give us eyes of faith. That as we eat and drink, we may sense your blessing upon us and your grace to us. We ask all of this in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and then he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by Rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. I always like to mention that we practice open communion to Wesleyan Church, maybe the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.